You're listening to Code Chefs, the podcast for hungry developers. Buckle down and ready up. We're serving JavaScript, web design, soft skills, backend development, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Vincent Tang and Herman Gamboa. Order up! Welcome to Code Chefs, the podcast for hungry web developers. I'm your co-host today, Vincent, and with me is... Herman Gamboa. Hi, guys. So we're actually introducing a new segment to our show or hoping to introduce a new segment, which is going to be a little sponsor section. So we're currently looking for sponsors. So if you're interested in being part of our show forever, get in while we're cheap. So you can reach out to us at Twitter, at CodeChefs in Twitter. CodeChefs Dev. Yes. CodeChefs Dev. So today's topic is productivity 101 for developers. Jeremy, can you kick it off? Definitely. So I guess defining productivity is pretty hard, right? We also, we actually had a few bloopers here and they're trying to actually get through that section before. Just feel like to feel like I should throw that one out there. So like the the formal, formal boring definition of productivity is commonly the which is gonna be the Google definition is so it's productivity is commonly defined as a ratio between output volume and the volume of Input. So it really is just getting how basically is how much can I get out of out of how much I put in, right? But colloquially, so for all of us, what we mean to productivity is we refer to as getting things done, right? So how many things can I get done in a given time frame? So that, that's how I feel like what, what, how I measure on productivity is how much can I get done in a day or in a week, right? So I know when we think about productivity, a lot of times we're actually just thinking about work, right? Professional stuff. So how much code can I write in one day? How many features can I do? How many of that can I do? But productivity is not just that. You can also have, you can also think about how productive you are in your personal life. So that can be something as maybe you want to be more productive in making sure that you make dinner, you cook your own dinner rather than eating out every day. So that's just also just wanted to start the conversation there with productivity is just not about work. So What's the point of being productive? The point of being productive is just it allows you to do more with less, right? So we kind of already went over the formal boring definition that it's just it's the ratio between the outputs and the inputs, right? So you want to go ahead and spend and be able to get the most out of your time. So in this case, most of our inputs as as people or work effort is the time that we put in and the stuff that we get out. So what's the point of being productive in the first place? It's going to really depend on the goals that you have, right? So for example, it can be the goal of moving on further in your career. So you're going to want to be productive and whatever those, whatever things are going to make you better in your career, you want to be productive at, at home, which means like either spending more time with your family or like being more productive when it comes to like keeping your house clean. So it's really, really going to depend. And there is a lot of different methods you can use to like increase your productivity, which range from being super, super finely detailed to like, hey, every five minutes I'm going to be doing this. Once an hour, I'm going to check my email. All that, all that type of stuff, right? But that's all really going to depend on your personality type and the way that you actually want to go ahead about it. Uh, which, Vincent, do you want to tell us about which person, about, you want to talk a little bit about personality types and like different ways that affects how we can be productive before we get into actual like the tips of productivity? Oh, for sure. So I just want to make another point about just like being productive. And like you were saying earlier, before I get into like the personality thing, it does depend on like what your goals are. So for instance, if if you're targeting like work-oriented goals, like how can I get, how can I do, be the best developer I can at my company or become the best lead at my company to make sure like the project is going to have a good success. And it's not necessarily like you're saying earlier, 
tied to how much like code you're spitting out. It's also like your communication, like how do you make sure that you're a good lead? How do you make sure that everyone's on the same page? Uh, and there's a lot of things behind the scenes that that might not necessarily tie to what you think of just as the traditional work. For like personal life though, if you're just on like personal goals, for instance, if you're trying to like gain weight, for instance, and you're trying to like bulk up and we did an episode previously on this on fitness 101 like in like the fourth or fifth podcast episode that we recorded if you're trying to like track down like or if you're trying to get like actual weight gains to build up body mass at least this is what i'm trying to do i have to track down like hey how much weight am i getting every week am i tracking like my calories and nutrition properly and how can i do this efficient efficiently like throughout the day without like spending way too much time like i could count every little thing that i eat but but for like at a certain point, I could just like instead estimate and give or take like how much I'm eating per day, um, as long as I'm still getting like those benchmarks, for instance. And the same with like work and pers- or sorry, with personal life. For me, it's like if you want to like I like to prioritize like having good relationships with friends and making sure you're having a good time, just being like the family member that I can be. And, and and yeah, so it just it just depends on your priorities. With personality type though, depending on your personality type, you'll generally organize yourself a little differently in terms of how you get your goals uh, achieved. And for instance, there is something called the Brick Myers personality test, which kind of says like, hey, there's 16 different variations of personalities depending on what you are. Uh, you tend to go about things differently than other people. For instance, I would say a lot of developers and a lot of engineers are what is considered INTP, which is what I am. This is someone who's introverted by nature, even though we're on a podcast talking more in an extroverted fashion. Intuition is kind of like more going to like theoretical concepts and how you go about problem solving. Uh, Thinking is more of like thinking logically about an issue and then perceiving is like being open-minded and kind of not necessarily being tied to specific organizational structure or, you know, productivity method. So for me, at least, when I organize myself to get things done, from a productivity standpoint, I don't use like a lot of different note-taking apps. I just keep things very simple. And I just have like simple task reminders on sticky notes, literally, that I put on my computer telling me what to do throughout the day. So that does go later on into like more that we'll talk about later about like how do we actually maximize productivity. A German, what about you? What is like your personality type, uh, just like a general overview of like how you get things and how you organize yourself from a productivity standpoint. Sure. So we actually have like the same personality type. So it's the based on that, the Briggs Mayer, Mayer categories is also INTP. Although the times I've taken it, I always fall between INTP and INTJ. So I think the INTJ is just me trying to be organized, which I'm not. Uh, I tend to be very, very scattered brain for my personality is I can't constrain my day that much. So basically nowadays when it comes to keeping track of stuff, I just use Notion to kind of like write out what my day is going to look like, what I'm working on. But for the most part, I just keep my calendar open because I do have a horrible tendency of forgetting the meetings I have for one day when I get started on something. I'll tend to like zone out and focus on that. And I've missed meetings in the past. Uh, which have landed me in hot water. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> so, um, and also, I don't like. I don't like. I I don't think it's. I I don't like wasting other people's time. So it's not fair to the other people anyway. So, uh, I do have to keep a calendar open, but I'm very minimal. I've tried multiple times in the past to schedule my day by the hour. It just doesn't happen. I can keep it up for about one day before I drive myself miserable with trying to stay on track. Yeah, fair point. Yeah, I, I can't go necessarily like. 
hour by hour. I know some people like have a calendar or an agenda that they have to go like, hey, between three to five, I'm going to be working on this. Between five and seven, I'm going to be going out with friends somewhere else. And and I can't I can't follow that rigorous of a schedule. And that does bring us over to like the next topic. So what we're going to describe productivity in terms of more of like a development standpoint, since we're both developers, we're going to actually use different books that we've read on these topics to kind of give you a high-level overview of how to define productivity and how to maximize it, depending on what your goals are and, how, and what, what you're trying to achieve. Well, Jerba, do you want to kick us off with like the first book that we're going to kind of go over in terms of kind of like the overarching principles of getting things done? The first book we're going to be going getting in, getting into is uh, the book called Getting Things Done, which I actually have only read the summary of this book. I've actually not even like dove into this book that much. So, Vincent, do you want to go ahead and kind of start covering this one, and then I can chime in whenever there's something I'm familiar with. I'm familiar with the methods. I just never read the book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, the sorry, the the author is David Allen. I got the author wrong. And getting things done is probably, in my opinion, one of the most critical books to read when it comes to actually measuring how much productivity you're getting done, or at least has a holistic approach in terms of what you should do throughout the day if you're given like a task. How should you should you delegate it? Should you defer it? Should you should you like get it done right away? And, and it provides like a diagram, like this 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 diagram that kind of goes over like step by step what are actual actual steps to actually get something done. So this book is called Getting Things Done Again. And the diagram that I'm referring to is called the Getting Things Done Diagram. And uh, we'll have a link in the show notes of what it looks like. So basically, as I was saying, if you have stuff coming in, you should define what it is. So for instance, this could be emails. This could be you know a, a Slack communication uh, from your lead or supervisor saying to do something. It could be your friends like messaging you if you want to go to a party or your wife in case you watch the baby. It could be a lot of different things. And you have to first have like ask yourself like what is what is what is it? Like what exactly is this task? Is is it you have, you have to ask yourself in your head, is it actionable or is it not actionable? Basically sometimes when someone sends you information, it's just information. It doesn't really have a call to action per se. But if it does have a call if it does have a call to action, you have to figure out where you should store the information. Should you store it somewhere? Like for reference for later? Maybe it's like a PDF that someone sends you. Maybe it's like a, a link to like a website that you want to check out later. Or maybe it's something that's just, you know, at the time being not really useful down the road later. And and maybe you could just put it into trash. So you'll ask yourself this and, and depending on the answer, you'll just do something else with it. But if that thing is actionable, wherever it's coming from, ask yourself like, it, what's the next action? Is it like a project? Is it a, a multiple step process? So for instance, if we're in like a work meeting and next action is like, hey, build build the entire project, right? That, that could take months, right? Uh, you want to break it down into smaller steps and then make make that into, make, go back and like cycle through and like define what those steps are, right? So, so if it's a really big action, try to break it down smaller steps. But let's say it's something like throw out the trash, right? Or clean the litter box for my cat, right? If it's something that can be done in say less than two minutes, less than five minutes, don't even like bother essentially making like different for later or, or do something else with it. Just get it done right then and there, right? 
if it's an email, a text message, and you can just send a message off right away, uh, just do it. Like, don't think about it. If it's not, if it's something like that you, for instance, have to delegate, and, and, and this is something that we do on the podcast all the time when it comes to recording episodes, we usually delegate post-podcast recording since we're both not really specialized in it. And honestly, there's someone that's much better at it than we are that can do it much faster. So we usually delegate that to an expert. And, and then when we do delegate it, we have to make sure that we're on the same communication page, that the person actually handling it has everything they need and they can come back to us for any questions or follow-ups. And let's say instead that you need to do something, but it's not easily done in a few minutes and you ideally don't want to delegate it because it's very sensitive information, for instance, or it like requires your specific expertise and only your expertise, you might want to just defer it at a different date. Say like, hey, let me put in the calendar that I'm going to remind myself basically to work on this task on this day. And sometimes, sometimes I'll just create reminders to remind myself to remind somebody else, right? Because I don't want to overload someone with reminders. So there's a lot of different things you have to consider when you're thinking about like the holistic approach of getting things done. And then there's also next actions, whether you have to do follow-up emails or communication, et cetera. So that is a very, very high-level overview of how getting things done works. And in my opinion, is the most concrete methodology for describing how to actually get stuff done, like on the how part. If that makes sense, German. It makes sense. My favorite thing, and the one thing I do remember from like the summaries of that book that I read was the Eisenhower decision matrix, which you have like the four quadrants where you want to go ahead and spend your time, which is the whole like urgent, important, urgent, not important, urgent, important, urgent. Not ur- sorry, not urgent, important, not urgent, not important. And like how you actually want to spend most of the time in like one one of those quadrants and then like limit the one the amount of time you spend in others. Yeah, that makes sense. So like so what you're saying earlier with the Eisenhower matrix. So it, it's like a two by two square, right? And we'll have a link in the show notes. And, and the top row it's urgent and then not urgent. And then the column is important and not important. And if you were to look at like the criteria of what to prioritize in terms of like what what is really what what needs to be done right now versus what doesn't need to be done right now, uh, an example of like something that's urgent and important is, for instance, our podcast site is down, right, and nobody can go on the podcast stream because our RSS feeds are broken, Apple iTunes is not working, Spotify is not working. So for us, that's a really high priority thing to fix. Something that's like not important, urgent, which is like like post-processing of audio. Like we have to do it, but and we should do it within a timely manner, but it's not really important because we could delegate someone else to do it. So basically, it's easy to measure what the result of it is going to look like, right? Because we could just go on the audio and just like play it over again to get a feel for what it sounds like and make sure it sounds right. So it doesn't take very long, but the post-processing takes much longer. Um, So this is when you want to delegate something. And if it's like not urgent and also important, you want to schedule a time later to do it, right? And in this case, it's like building new features for the site, which they're important to do, but we don't have to do it right now, right? Because we're not following, it's not like part of the release schedule. And then not urgent, not important is when something, when someone like invites you to something that you don't particularly care about, and you're, you're, you're 
you want you're like you're being the nice kid like hey like i'll go but in reality you really don't want to go that's when you you probably don't want to go that is an example of not urgent not important so that's kind of an overview of the eisenhower decision matrix it's part of the getting things done methodology in terms of like the same kind of vein mindset when you're kind of like getting a task and like what do you do with that task right so with the getting things done done approach I kind of went over kind of like how you go over and like tackle different tasks. But what, what do you do for like calendar management? Like what's your day-to-day work and personal life look like for time management, especially because that's generally something that I feel like people struggle on or people or, or things that are, I guess, process that can be approved. Definitely. So Actually, pretty funny. So there's an actually story behind like when I actually read this book or not. Sorry, again, I did not read the book. I read the book that we're going to talk about next. But this is uh, of the times I read the summary about this book was actually back when I was working in the restaurant, right? Because I was a manager at a restaurant. So you have like all this chaotic things happening. And actually, when there, whenever you're working in restaurant management, there's a lot of urgent and important stuff. That's sorry. Let me rephrase it. There's a lot of urgent, not important stuff happening. <laughs> But that's when I came I first came across this ideas. So the way I've kind of done things kind of changes. Obviously, it's amazing in the software world where we kind of have like a way to like define our tasks via like some sort of like work, like work ticketing system. At least when it comes to like work stuff, uh, you know what's you kind of already know what you need to get done for the day, for the week, for your sprint. But for me currently, I just literally I look at my I look at whatever needs to get done on the um, on the what do you call it on Jira or I use linear now, which is like Jira or whatever needs to get done, get done with those applications, kind of make myself a little to-do list. I either do it in Notion. Sometimes I do it in a piece of paper because it's all the details are already within those tickets. And I just use Fantastical for my calendar to make sure I don't miss any meetings. And then for me, after meetings, I just see if a meeting has an action item. And if it's something I can add to Jira or if it's something I need to kind of like add to my calendar, like Fantastical has like a simple like task system which is not very detailed, but it works to kind of schedule those action items that happen for meetings. And I also kind of just made myself a uh, a little nice whiteboard on my fridge that tells me what I need to clean in the house. So that's kind of how I've been managing my time. How about you? So I guess to divide it in like personal and work. For work, I actually like time block like my work life and my personal life so I don't get them mixed in. And it's kind of hard to do sometimes because you're working from home and like work is home. <laughs> Technically, you just like wake out of the shower, put on a pair of pants and put on a polo. And just, that's your work attire. <laughs> that's work my work attire for me, at least. But yeah, no, I usually time box things. So I just time box into general ranges. So I'll start off my day, you know, going to the gym, doing some personal stuff. And then I get into work, you know, starting at like nine or ten. And then I go up to like six or seven or something or like or whatever nine or eight hours is eight hours of work actually occurs. And within that time frame, I'll have two separate calendars. I'll have my personal calendar and then I'll have my work calendar. And for my work calendar, when it hits 10 a.m. or at least a little bit before, I'll, I'll check like in queue like what things I have going on that day. And I might have, for instance, no meetings that day. And other days I might have like eight meetings. Um, it just depends where we are in like the project planning phase. And so I'll look through those and I'll kind of get an idea like what things I need to do throughout the day based on just my calendar. There's going to be like a daily stand up, which kind of goes over like 
uh, what we're working on the previous day, what we're working on today, what we're intending to work on later on. And so I'll try to focus on like what I can get done and, and making sure I have status updates on everything before I get to that meeting. Um, and so, and then throughout the, throughout like for like the calendar and like reminders, I'll just have like a desktop reminder and then phone reminder that just says like, Hey, a meeting is coming up. And for like in a really, for like a really important meeting, I'll just actually like do a little bit of math in my head and figure out like how long that meeting, like how long that meeting will take based on the current time. And I'll just put a timer. Like for instance, if it's like one thirty, and the meeting is at three, I'll just put a timer for one hour and 25 minutes. If it's like something really urgent, I'll have to remind myself to really go to it. That's, that's when I'll put that in. So I just, for, for work, I just have a specific calendar for work. I have a specific email system for work. I have a specific like system for work that I, that I have completely separated from anything personal. I, I used to mix them together. Just like I'll like take the work calendar information and just like put it to my personal calendar, but it'll still like, it'll still scrub all the details on there. Uh, and I found that that just be like, that would just like overwhelm my personal calendar system because there's just too much stuff that I didn't really care about in, in there. So I just completely um, quick, uh, get them completely separated. So work and work and personal are just completely separate for me. And then for for personal things like event management, calendar reminders, etc., I, I do apply the getting things done method where it's like if someone sends me like an invite to an event, a get together, whatever, I will make a calendar reminder as quickly as possible in, in my phone that way i just know down the road and and usually once or twice per day i'll just check through like what my week schedule looks like for for personal things and it's usually not really heavily loaded because i don't really have that many things to go to outside of work per se and it's usually on the weekends too or i'll have like a fixed routine schedule when it comes to like things that I go to on a regular basis. For instance, I take dance classes, I take guitar lessons, I take singing lessons, and those all happen at the same time in the same time of week. So there's not really like an incentive for me to check that all the time because it's always fixed and constant. And that's kind of like in a nutshell how I manage calendars. I try to keep my personal calendar very unpolluted. And the work one, I could just, it, it gets it gets very polluted very quickly, but... That's a different story. That's kind of how I deal with time management in a nutshell, though. And then for like task management, that wasn't on here, but for task management, I'll usually just use sticky notes. I'll usually write like a sticky note reminder somewhere like like this right here. And I'll just write a sticky note and I'll just put it somewhere where I'll look. And in this case, it's usually my monitor. So if I don't get that sticky done, it's just going to like become really distracting while I work. And that's, that's kind of how I do task management. It's really, really blatantly simple. I don't use any applications. I don't use Wonderless. I don't use Notion. I don't. I, I sometimes use OneNote to capture information that might be used useful later. But other than that, I, I have very few systems for keeping information or for t like tackling and tracking task management because I guess my belief is that it does add overhead. And I prefer to be as quick and painless as possible because sometimes your phone doesn't work. Sometimes the app doesn't load up. Sometimes you're like juggling through different organizations, different tasks, and you're, you're technically not getting work done. You're just, it's almost like productivity porn at that point. So, so that, that's me. Jeremy, do you have anything to add on to your side in terms of like personal tasks? 
personal time management or personal task management or vice versa for work? No. What I do want to do is I want to go ahead and move on to the next book, which is like a personal favorite of mine. And the reason why is, as I early, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not good at breaking things down by the hour and things like that. I'm more of, um, I need to kind of like let my brain do things automatically. So the next book we're going to talk about is Atomic Habits, which was written by James Clear, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going off memory. Just looked at Google. Yes, James Clear. The full title, if you're interested in the book, the full title is Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. At the end of the day, going into the book, into like a quick summary of the book, it kind of breaks down to the ideas that everyone has good habits and bad habits. Obviously, good and bad, it's going to depend on your own personal definition. There's obviously clearly stuff that's bad habits uh, that are harmful to your health. But like in general, there's things that you got, you're going to do automatically, right? If you're used to maybe like taking lunch at a certain hour and taking X amount of time for lunch, or like if you're used to like waking up at, at, at late or whatever, those are habits you can control little by little, right? So what we want to do here is increase the good habits. So you want to define those good habits, again, based on whatever goal you have. Uh, I'll give you one of mine, which is actually one of the habits I've, I've been working on for the longest is waking up earlier, right? Or waking up without having like a million alarms. So one thing I do for me is one thing the book really kind of like specifies is make good habits easier and bad habits harder to do. So if, when it comes to my example of me trying to wake up earlier, one way I've been trying to make that easier for myself is one, don't go to sleep so late. <laughs> Two, just making sure that you have a good place to sleep, like your room. Don't, you should start like, for at least when it comes to like, like workspaces and stuff like that, I try not to do any more any work from my room or from the bed anymore. Uh, so that's like the stuff that's making that good habit easier to do. Uh, and the way I make the bad habit harder to do is I basically, if you start, at least when it comes to like the whole waking up early, if you start your day early, you're going to get sleepy early. Plus I've been taking uh, melatonin like right before I go to bed. So it kind of knocks me out. So I don't have a choice but to go to sleep whenever I get tired. So <laughs> that's kind of like how you make it bad, make a ha bad habit harder to do. Now, when it comes to like a more general example for people, uh, of good habits and bad habits is social media. It's really, really easy to waste a bunch of time on social media. And I know a lot of people have like a goal or like a like a goal of not spending so much time doom scrolling on Reddit or on Twitter. When it comes to the whole make good habits harder, hard, good habits easier to do and harder habits and bad habits harder to do, uh, at least when it comes to social media, you can actually block it, right? You can just use some sort of like filter and stuff. I've actually gone as far as I've deleted Facebook and I kind of blocked Twitter and I blocked Twitter like at the DNS level with my pie hole, with like a little pie that filters out ads on my house. Hi, Vincent. So what are some like good habits and bad habits you're working on? Uh, so good habits and bad habits, like you were saying earlier, make make good habits easier to do, make bad habits harder for, for me to do. So for me, I would say social media is a big one. I try to time box that as much as possible since it, it can be very distracting and not lead to a lot of productivity when it comes to work or personal life. So for me, like I just make them harder. And in this case, like I'll turn off notifications on my phone and minimize as many app notifications as possible for my phone too. So in this case, I'm not like constantly going through that dopamine cycle. Like, oh, I want to see the next message. I want to see who liked this. And, like, I don't really care about that. So I, I time box it. I, I eliminate as many distractions as possible to focus on what I what I care the most about. And I also don't go on social media at night, usually past a certain time. And I usually have like a specific 
bedtime actually <laughs> it's weird because like as you get older it's like you start like wanting to go to sleep at a certain time of day so you can wake up the next morning for so for you um Dermot, you you said you like wake up in the morning and get your things on in the morning i'm more of a night owl and i've tried like changing like the routine where i wake up in the morning get things on in the morning but i'm just not very productive in the morning i get my most productive cycle is actually like right before bedtime since that's when like I kind of wind down, I can explore new things and I just have like a larger time box of things where I could just do anything I want. So, so other examples of kind of like making what is good for you or like making good habits easier. One of the habits that I've been working on the most lately is actually improving my posture since I've had terrible posture my entire life, just like hunched over the computer. So one way I do this is actually just having a better like setup for my desk and just having it like in an optimal seating position so that I'm always like either like sitting straight or just like leaning back on my chair, but always also having my spine straight as well. Another thing that I've been trying to implement is more weight tracking. So I'll just like put my weight scale somewhere very visible and easy to see when I get to the bathroom in the morning so I can weigh myself that that like before I go out to the gym. Before that, I didn't have like a safe place to put it or I'll just forget. So I just put it in somewhere that's like clearly in eyesight. And, and likewise, if you want to like make something harder for you to do, you just put it out of sight so you don't see it. And many different examples can be done here. Other examples, let's see. Yeah, those are just some of the core examples. I also have a, a habit tracker where I'll actually write on like a whiteboard of habits that I'm trying to improve upon or habits I'm trying to do. And and one of these is like sending a text message to like one or two friends every day. It could be like a happy birthday wish or just like catching up with someone or seeing how they're doing. Um, I'm trying to make that more of a habit, but it's still a work in progress. What about you, German? Or I think you already covered like some of your habits of, yeah, uh, which habit tracking app do you use? I don't use a habit tracking app. I just literally use a plain old whiteboard and I just write down every habit that I want to actually go and like be good at. <laughs> so it's a little bit different for me. I, I'm very low tech, even though I'm working in software. I've always taken like the low tech approach for everything. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad idea. There's actually another philosophy that we'll talk in a later book about why why I tend to go with the low tech approach. Do you want to move on to the next book? Definitely. Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, uh, which is kind of a mash of everything we just talked about, uh, but it mainly boils down to just have other people do your work. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you read that one, Vincent? I can't remember if I can't I remember if you read, read that it one. a long time ago. I think it was like five or six years ago. That's the one that someone stole from your library. Oh yeah, yeah. I had a friend borrow a book, and <laughs> and it's no longer there, and I just bought a new one. Anyway, so Four Hour Work Week. The premise of this book is to automate as much as you can in your work routine while still getting the same amount of work output that you're getting done. So this is mostly more applicable to people that are entrepreneurs as opposed to the people that work in software development since there is a fine line in letting someone automate your work because there's a lot of security violations you're going to be dealing with if you do that. And a lot of non-disclosure agreements that you're going to be violating as well. But I've had heard stories of people doing it. I don't recommend it, though. But the premise of the book is delicate as much as possible. So, for instance, let's say you're running a dropshipping business, which is like the core example they use in the book. Instead of like packaging 
the stuff yourself, packaging the goods and materials and doing all this stuff that not necessarily has that has to be done, but doesn't have to be done by you. You should delegate as much as possible. And in this case, like write like a standard operating procedure and examples on whatever like freelancing website they're using. It could be Upwork, it could be Fiverr, uh, whatever. And it's like, hey, if you're given this this piece of information, right, make sure to send this information to the fulfillment center, given this order to go to this shipping address, and then figure out what those processes are and just automate it. And that's like literally what he's preaching. Automate up to the point where you can reduce all of your inputs to almost nothing and still maximize your outputs. And at the end of the day, what he's preaching is how much money can you make per hour with the least amount of work possible done? And it's a very interesting take on a book because none of the other books really go into that, where it's just like basically free up your work life so you can prioritize more fun in your personal life. And I thought that was a book just like worth adding on there because it does go into productivity more so like at least like the, the cross between like work and personal productivity, maximizing your work productivity so you can maximize your personal free time, if that makes sense. Um, that's like literally, literally the whole thing he's like saying like, hey, just outsource to someone from India, outsource to someone, a virtual assistant to another country. And like I said, if you're a developer, you don't really want to do this because you're violating security protocols. But if you're doing something like on the side for like a side project, this means like outsource your digital design assets, outsource something that you're not good at, like podcast audio, post-process reproduction, outsource part of your editorial process when you're writing a blog. These are things that that could help you out, uh, especially if you're not really an expert at that given topic. Do you want to add on anything here related to that book? No, I kind of read that book. I don't, I personally don't see myself ever kind of getting fully to that point. I actually like kind of working or I would get bored if all I did was have fun. I feel like it yeah. needs to be a balance. For sure. Like I can't do that. I, it's just, I like, I actually like doing work and I actually like, like actually getting things done on my own sense. Like I, I take pride in what I do. So that, that can never be me, but like the principles are interesting. They're oh, an interesting idea for sure. Yeah. I personally been wanting to do like, like, I'm still like, I've done it to like, it's not just so much like outsource to someone, but it can also be something as simple as if you use Walmart to get your groceries, have them delivered to your house. That's what I've been doing. Uh, it literally saves like two hours of going to shop, going shopping a week, little things like that. Oh yeah. Those little things add up. Cool. So next on our list is the Toyota way process. I can't remember if that was a specific book or if that's the whole, the whole like productivity slash quality thing that kicked off in that company. Yeah, I, I can I can explain the premise of the book. So uh, th- this actually goes back after World War II. So after World War II, there is uh, after World War II, Japan had got yeah, nuked um, from the U.S. from uh, I think it was like Enola Gay and, and Big Boy. Those were like the two bombs that 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 had nuked Hiroshima and. One of the, or no, so just Hiroshima. And so Japan was kind of like in ruins after World War II. And then America came in, and there was a guy by the name of Robert Demings who kind of gave a lot of the technology that we had in the US over to Japan. And, and this is like the, the Ford assembly line process, different manufacturing techniques, et cetera. But the thing with Japan in particular 
is they didn't have a lot of raw resources when it comes to building new things. They're a very small island. They don't have like they don't have the same economical advantage as, for instance, China. But what they do really well is they do a lot of process automation. And the one who pioneered it, or the company that pioneered it, is Toyota. Toyota is the car manufacturer, and they have a set of processes called Lean, which you might have heard when you're talking about Agile, when you're talking about Scrum, you're talking about all these other things. Um, these are all derivatives of that Toyota process. And what it says is like one of the core principles of of Lean. You have to like identify what actually matters in, in your production cycle. So when they're talking about like manufacturing cars, like what actually matters. And what you do is you'll actually measure everything you do from point A to point Z. In this case, like manufacturing a car. What do you need to do to get to that point? And like, what are all the different tasks that are done? What do the, the line workers do? And what you do is you'll analyze all these steps uh, one by one. And you'll do something called, uh, you'll, you'll look at things that actually matter in the production life cycle. And you'll, you'll do something called, uh, you'll eliminate something called talk time, which is what is considered useless time. For instance, if someone's walking from point A of the assembly to point B, that is value not added in terms of the production being created. So when you see things in the, the car production life cycle, there's actually a conveyor belt that's moving the car slowly from, from one end to the other. And people that are like working on that vehicle generally aren't moving very far because it doesn't add a lot of value. The same can be said for like, for instance, Amazon, when they're optimizing their warehouse delivery system, they're using robots to, to grab and pick the items or not grab, like take the items over to like the, the person picking the items. That person doesn't really move as much anymore because they're in like a given space and the robots are just coming over to them and they're just grabbing the items from that robot that's then moving that shelf into the appropriate place. So like that's that's more of like resource optimization. And I guess for to 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 take that into the context of like your personal or work life, you should look at things that actually matter for what you're trying to achieve in your goals, right? For me, it's like I don't find a lot of value spending time and making breakfast. And, and some people do find a lot of value in that. So I just make a protein shake in the morning. And it's literally just like, you know, there's some fruit, some bananas, a protein powder, mix it up and drink it. That's literally like my three minute breakfast. And I take that time that I would consider to be for the most part useless and put it elsewhere into my schedule. Right. Some people actually really enjoy that. I don't personally care about that. So that is one example of looking at your your day-to-day routine and figuring out which parts are not really adding value to your life or adding value to what you're trying to do. And for me, it was just kind of making breakfast really short. So that's one example. Do you have any examples of that in your life where it's like a German where you's like you see something and like it takes up a huge block of time and you don't find it offers a lot of value or a lot of productivity for your goal set. So you just kind of like optimize it, I guess you could say. Uh, yeah. So I actually have a couple stories here behind it. So I was actually like, I when I was back in 
my restaurant days, I read a book about Lean Sigma 6, which is regarding this topic. And I remember, just as a side note, one of the coolest things that came from that book was something called a spaghetti plot, which is a way to, or a spaghetti diagram, which is like you would kind of have the layout of your restaurant and kind of draw little little lines to where people had to walk so you could figure out what's the best way to position all the supplies around the store, uh, around the back of the house and around the front of the house. I actually did that. It was pretty cool. Like it allowed you to like make sure everything was like in the nicest spot, like organizing like on like the prep line or or like the cook line, just making sure that all those stuff was like probably like in the best order that people were going to reach for it. I used to do all that crazy stuff. Obviously not super scientific about it, but I used to. Now, when it comes to things that I don't value doing and stuff like that, there's not a lot, but I do like doing little optimizations that actually save me time, um, especially when it comes to working, right? So one of those things for me, at least, I don't know if you're familiar with Alfred for the Mac. Uh, just oh yeah, like, yeah. It's, a, it's a keyboard macro program. Yes. So it's like a little search bar and I constantly use it. I'm constantly adding stuff to it from doing anything. So like, let's say I want to go ahead into my email. I can just type in like two letters and open it up my, and I can get to my email like that without having to like go through the browser and open that up. If I want to go into GitHub and like open up like a repo, I can just do it from like, do it with my hands like in two seconds. It sounds stupid, but it, but you actually save up a lot of time throughout the day by just not wasting time trying to like access the programs you need. Or if you're trying to jump repos in your computer, like with what you call it, with uh, VS Code, like just learning all the shortcuts. I'll go out of my way to learn shortcuts just because it saves me useless time of me switching stuff. And like the worst one, I don't know if you, I don't know the apps you work in, but I have some apps that right before you push, like you push your PR up, it runs Mm -hmm. the tests. And sometimes the tests will take like minutes and Obviously, if you have like five minutes of nothing to do, you're going to be really tempted to open Reddit. <laughs> so <laughs> I actually I actually went out of my way to build like a little home server that has like 32 cores and it will run those tests like in 10 seconds rather than like four minutes. So Oh, wow. That's smart. Yeah, <laughs> my tests run take forever to run, but that's usually just when I take a slight break. Or I could turn off like, I could turn off the test before I make the, or sorry, I could turn off the test until I make the PR. That's another way if I have like a flag to disable it. But generally speaking, like I don't feel like it bothers me too much as the tests don't take that long for me. It's almost like a few seconds, but I could see if it's like a minute long. It's like, okay, that's, that's like watching grass grow. <laughs> so <laughs> that could take a little bit way too long. Or you can always just do dash dash, no verify and call it a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I usually verify everything. It, it, I actually, instead when I write my code, I actually, you know, like you're just like you're supposed to commit often and commit frequently, but I actually do the complete opposite case where I actually don't commit that frequently, and I have, I'm more of like a visual person. I don't do like a lot of keyboard macros where it's like, I don't I don't use Vim. I don't I, I just I just use only the macros that or sorry the keyboard shortcuts that VS Code just comes shipped with. And I've actually used to really be into auto hockey macros and actually I'd write my own auto hockey macros for a lot of different tasks. But for me, it's like I just gotten so efficient at clicking and copying and pasting that I could still be typing like 45 words per minute or even less. And I could still have very high productivity output because I'm like constantly looking for the least number of steps to get something done. <laughs> so for me, it's like I actually like taking it slower, even though I'm like still hitting like a lot of output. If that makes sense, I'm just like figuring out in the process like what doesn't really matter, 
for instance, like if I'm clicking through navigating tabs, I can click on it faster than actually using shift tab or something when, when you're navigating on Chrome. And I'll have like a hundred plus tabs open sometimes in like five different windows and I can still navigate through them. But that's just me. So yeah, just figure out, I guess, what you can automate. And that that's kind of like the principle of Toyota Way process is like figure out what doesn't really matter and automate that. But I would also advocate not going too deep into that because it's nice to like not overly optimize your life because then like life just gets really boring. <laughs> so like that makes sense. Like don't don't have like a rigorous schedule. Like you're going from the gym and you have to like, spend 15 minutes at the supermarket to get everything in the shortest time possible. Like take a you know take a break. You know take a longer break. You know figure out what you want to do. Maybe go explore different recipes and ingredients that you want to buy at the supermarket. Go make some small talk with the, the deli sandwich artist. I don't know. There's a lot of different things you could think about when you're thinking about the context of automating things. Like you don't want to overly opt up overly automate it just depends what your goal is do you want to move on to the next book german uh definitely i actually have not read this one but i know i know what you're referring to which is does it bring you joy does not okay. bring you joy actually there's two concepts of this book it's called the life-changing magic of tidying up from marie kondo she's a japanese author it, it refers to due to different principles i haven't actually read the book but i've read the synopsis and i've like read multiple synopsis on it but the general gist of it is, is if you're cleaning up your room for instance and your room is really messy and that room can be an analogy to anything in life clean up your room all in one shot because it, it takes some time to like get that mentality that you want to clean up your room and to, to get to that point and like to get to that point where you actually want to clean your room might take a while and like when you when you do have that moment just do it all at the same time because the next day you could just relax and just get on with your life instead of like clean up half your room today and then cleaning half your room tomorrow. It, it just, it's better to just do it all in that one burst. And that actually goes to a different book that we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. And there's another thing that, that, that book also covers. It's something called spark joy, which is kind of like add little f- things in your life to make yourself, to make things more fun and exciting. So for instance, when I make, my protein shake in the morning. It's not very good for me to, for instance, like add whipped cream on top, but I really like adding it on there, even though it's not very healthy. It makes me more motivated to drink that smoothie every day. <laughs> so <laughs> those are just some like examples there. And I haven't really read too far into it, but I figured it was just worth talking about. Uh, do you want to go on to the next book Definitely. or the next section? Yeah, so a lot of the things we just talked about kind of cover like professional product or sorry, personal productivity, things that you can do on your own. There's a couple more books that kind of like dive into how to be productive more in your professional life, right? I think my favorite one out of the ones we're going to talk about is Deep Work by Cal Newport. Do you want to cover that one, Vincent, or do you want me to jump into that one? I can cover briefly. I, I haven't read through the entire book. I've just read through synopsis of it and just have the basic idea and principle of it. So deep work cool. for Cal Newport. When you're when you're coding and you're solving a problem, and at work, right? You're doing software development, front end development, back end development, whatever. You generally need a large period of time to actually get what is considered real work done. So I get dragged in meetings a lot, and it, it can 
burn me out and exhaust me just because it's a lot of meetings. Sometimes it's like eight meetings in a day. And because of that, like I can't really focus from like and think deeply about a problem uh, mindset just because I'm so overwhelmed with communications and administration and whatever. So when you're planning out your work week, try to like push all those meetings all at the same time or like enough that you could take in a day and then we can sleep over mm-hmm. it. And then try to just have like up to two work periods a day where you just have like somewhere between two to four hours of intense focus. You eliminate every distraction, turn off your phone, turn off notifications, everything, and just literally focus on one problem, whatever your ticket is assigned to you, and just focus on that. Because sometimes it requires a lot of mental overhead to understand everything that that you have to do to fix that issue, right? And you have to, you want to, you want to focus your entire environment, all of your tabs, all of your VS Code settings, all of your settings and whatever to that specific task. That way you can knock out things much quicker because you've already built a foundation for just handling that thing only. That is for the most part, the premise of deep work or one of the most principles of it. Do you have anything to add on there, German? I think I think I covered that correctly. Yes, you did. Uh, though that's one of my favorite books, so I can go into it for like a whole episode, which I'm not. Uh, we probably maybe should in the future. If you're interested, let us know at Twitter, at CoachUpStaff. Just plugging that in there. So yeah, you kind of basically covered it. I guess I, I guess kind of the, work, the book kind of goes a little bit more deeper. It's divided into two parts. The first part explaining, hey, why well, you should actually care about this. Really, because a lot of like, the high-paying professions nowadays actually require you to work deeply, right? To actually do knowledge work and not just do stuff with your hands, in a sense. But yeah, I guess my favorite thing about that book—I don't know if you, if you, if it covers it in like in the summary or anything—but like the I can't pronounce it properly. The Edumonics machine, which is like basically like having like a like a whole like it's like a machine where you can go in and concentrate, and it has like different levels of concentration to it. To where the last one is just like you're like in a complete isolated room where you can just completely deeply focus. I wish I could build something like that in my house, but my house is not big enough. But yeah, that's you're my like that's you like a happened? deprivation tank. <laughs> it's similar to that. I mean, the 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 concept is almost very similar to that. The one thing that's hard about the whole deep work concept is that Slack is a thing. So sometimes people message you nonstop, and there might not be. To- it depends on what the Slack message is, but you don't have to necessarily read it like Until- within the hour. You can read it two hours later. Yeah. Um, also, another thing I believe with deep work, it covers like the environment that you're in. So if you have the space in your house or your apartment and you have a dedicated office, you should do your deep work at that spot only. And that'll just like get you in the habit of having deep work when you're in that room. That makes sense. It doesn't work for me though, just because I don't. I'm not. I'm in a very small apartment. So, but what you could do instead is you could use music. So, for instance, if you're using, I use I use a lot of lo-fi hip hop music, and that just gives you like no no audio, no vocals or anything, and it's just it gives me that kind of like that uh that mentality of being in deep focus. So I just get into it right away. If that makes sense. So that's another thing you can do to put yourself in a deep focus state. But you have to make sure that you have like a three or sorry, two to four hour period where you know you won't get interrupted. Do you want to move on to the next book, German? Yes, Thinking Fast and Slow. 
I'll go ahead and cover this one. I'm trying to remember this book. Oh yeah, that's the one where you have like two different like ways you kind of you're, you kind of react to stuff and kind of managing those. So, who's the author of this book? I don't, I don't know if you remember. I don't recall actually. Let me look it up. We didn't have we... any of these authors offhand. Yeah, it no, is we... from I think Daniel Kahneman. Yeah, I mean, we kind of like have a giant list of books, which we'll make sure to list in our podcast notes because it's a lot of books we're covering. So basically, that's like there's two different ways you kind of think. The f- first way is you kind of like think like fast, right? It's like your like your fast brain, which is like what most of the time is guiding your reactions, your your reactions to things. So it's basically things that you've done that are based on experiences you had like pre your preconceived notions in the world and your brain will do that. We'll see something and react to it. I think, Vincent, you have a good story about this, which we'll get back to in a second. But it's just basically like, I guess like your gut feeling, your gut response to things. Um, and then this, the slow one, the deliberate process, which is what we care about, which is things when you're starting to like learn how to do things, it takes a, it takes a while for you to do them. Your brain has to process them because you can't hold that much information on in your brain at the same time. And the idea here is your brain only has so much energy to do those things in one day. So in this case, one of those slow delivery processes is deep work. Uh, but a cool thing about this whole like learning stuff. Uh, so this book is more about learning. So a cool thing about it is as you kind of practice things, as you kind of like deeply focus on things, uh, you those things actually start becoming instinctive to you, right? So whereas when you're, for example, learning how to code first, there's so many things you're kind of keeping in your head, right? You're trying to like keep the syntax of language in your head, the things that you're doing, the library you're interfacing with. And that's really like, like that's a lot. Like that's a lot to keep in the, in your head. That's the reason when you're first starting out, you don't like jump into big projects. You don't start with like databases because you can't keep the whole fact that you're learning databases and you're learning JavaScript at the same time. It's a lot. Uh, but as you kind of like, as you kind of like practice at that, your fast brain can take over it, right? Because now at that point, your brain is like, okay, cool. I know what JavaScript does and how it looks like. I can actually focus on interacting with the database. So that's the cool part. Of, that's the cool part about it. And there's a funny story that Vincent's gonna tell us now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when you're saying thinking fast and slow, uh, yes, like you're saying earlier, there's two systems of thought process. There's system one, which is like automatic and impulsive. It's kind of like instinctive, right? You're you're saying like it just happens automatically. You just make a gut instinctual decision. You don't even think about it. And then system two is like where you actually have to think about things and like the context of a bigger project. This is generally when you're doing deep focus. But a funny story, when I used to work in like the restaurant business, we used to get, we used to do like a lot of like a lot, we used to cater toward a lot of clients that were in like, that were from Asia, right? And they were trying to open the restaurant for the first time. And I remember this one lady that came in, she was like in her like 60s and she asked to use the bathroom. And Mandy, when we were working at, when I was working over there and she, she got done from the bathroom. It's a, it's a, it's a male, female bathroom, right? You can be either one, one person, a lot in that space. And I remember like having to go there right afterward, after she was done. And I walk in there and the toilet seat was up and there were footprints on the toilet seat, <laughs> like when it was lifted up and the, and the footprints were pointed away from the toilet. So it was like really weird and jarring to see like, wait, How'd she, how'd she go to the bathroom there? That doesn't make any sense. Why was there footprints on, on this toilet seat? And it, it, when, I, when I've been overseas in China, they actually use different toilets over in, in, on the eastern side of the world. They use toilets that are basically in the ground 
and, and whereas like us that, that live in the US or in other westernized countries, we generally have somewhere we can sit down. And so, so for, from her standpoint, she just came to the US for the first time. It was like a raised like floor seat from her mind. And so she just like literally would stand on the toilet seat to go to the bathroom. And like you would you could see this based on this, the prints that are on the seat itself. And I was just like so jarring. It's like, oh, okay, this makes sense. That is an example of a, a system one thought process where it's like it's automatic. She didn't she didn't think about it. She's just like, okay, this is a floor toilet seat, not a regular toilet seat. That was that was her mind. That was the first time she's ever seen a Western toilet seat. Yeah, that, that, that's an example of of a system one thought process. Other examples of a system one thought process, which which goes into like things that are automatic and impulsive, when you develop more expertise in software development or in a specific language or framework or whatever, it tends to become more second nature to you. All right. When you're first learning, it, it's very hard. Like, what do you, like, how do databases work? How does JavaScript work? What is the syntax for CSS? I don't know. A lot of different things when you're first learning how to program is very unintuitive. But when you internalize it, you could just look at some code and go, okay, this is how you fix it. Like you've just seen it a hundred times, right? It, it becomes automatic and impulsive. And that is what a system one thought process is. So in a system two thought process is if you're going through like a problem and you're trying to figure it out and you're looking at different solutions, you have to think about it very deeply. But eventually as you gain more experience in different realms of software engineering, a lot of system one or a lot of system two processes where you think deeply about become automatic because you've seen it enough times where it becomes second nature. It's like learning another language basically. And yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of like what thinking fast and slow basically is promoting. You have to have both, but eventually a lot of things become system one and they're ingrained in your head at a certain point for, for better or worse. And th this could be like good habits and bad habits, et cetera. Do you have anything else to add, German? Uh, no, not for this one. I guess we are kind of like, want to talk about things that are not in books because there's stuff that's, well, it's probably mentioned as a passing note in the book that we haven't read. But I think the first one we want to go ahead and talk about is just don't over-optimize or don't productivity garden. Or I think, what did you call it earlier? Productivity porn or something like that? Yeah, there, there is an actual name for this. It is called productivity porn, in which you spend more time optimizing your productivity tooling than you do actually solving the issue at hand. That actually goes into the other book called The, the Toyota Way. It also says whenever you're in a situation where you could pick two different solutions for a process, you always pick the known entity in the lower tech solution. That's why I always go with low tech solutions because it works and it's fast. And I also don't overly optimize anything that I don't have to. So I've been in this cycle before where I like really got into like, like productivity, like gardening, which is also another name for it where it's like, I would try out all these different note-taking tools. I would do like space memory repetition where I would memorize things in the shortest time frame possible based off of actual like psychology research and all this other stuff. And at the end of the day, like it didn't really add that much value in my life because I just forgot a lot of things and 
a lot of things I learned weren't entirely relevant. It did help me out early on. And it is very helpful if you're like learning a new language, but it does have deprecating value. So like for me, I try not to have too much tooling. I have the minimal amount of tooling necessary. And when I see myself repeating a lot of things that I feel like could be automated, that's when I automate it. But this thing is, it's very fluid for me. Like if things change all the time, depending on like what job I'm working at or what things I'm prioritizing in my personal life. So like my system is constantly always evolving. There's not one set system for anything, but I like using sticky notes for everything now because it's easy <laughs> and it always works and it's guaranteed to work except if my cat eats my paper or moves it somewhere else. But, but it generally works for me. So that's what I do. And like, sometimes I'll put sticky notes up the front of my doorknob if I really need to remind myself. Yeah, don't overly optimize your productivity life cycle because then you're just going to get to the point where you're just like, all right, I go to work, I go to sleep, I go eat, and that's it. <laughs> so you definitely want to allocate unproductivity. And that's a time for you to relax away from work or away from personal life and to recharge yourself. Do you have anything else to add here, German? Uh, no, I, but I just kind of reiterate, reiterate the whole, like, make sure you kind of schedule downtime so you don't burn yourself out. Like, for example, for me, I try not to do anything on Saturdays. That's like the day I take to not think about any sort of working stuff. <laughs> do you want to get into dessert time or tell the audience what that is? Yes. So dessert time for the ones joining us for the first time is a little section where we kind of just like vlog about our lives and what's going on. So Vincent, do you want to go first and tell us what's sweet in your life? What do you have going on? Yeah, yeah. I'm probably going to change whatever I had this topic on. I put D&D board games. I'll talk about it next time. So I actually just turned 30 years old last week. It just feels different. You know, I feel like I'm much older now, even though I'm not really. I'm just one year older now. But I can no longer say I'm doing things in my 20s anymore. I'm doing things in my 30s. And I feel like people, I like, I feel like a lot of people have a midlife crisis at this point. It's like, do I, it's like, am, am, did I achieve everything I wanted to do in my 20s? Or, or, or did I miss out things that I wanted to do in my 20s? That's how I feel right now sometimes. And it's like, I'm trying to live off the years that I would have spent in my 20s enjoying like everything I was doing. Because I spent a lot of time working for family business and running operations and doing management. Also, I also had my first uh, dance party as well. And this is also a weird time to have it though. But um, it came out really good though. I had a lot of fun. It was like a triple celebration with three of my friends. Or two of my friends also on the same birthday. Uh, this whole weekend's just been a blast. I've been having a lot of fun and just just celebrating uh, just everything I have in my life, being grateful where I am today. So that's pretty much me. That's just pretty much me. What about you, German? So what I've going on is I have a new job. So I've joined a new team lately at a different company that I was before. So now I'm actually working back at a restaurant data company. So pretty interesting past few days. So it's just been like a whole onboarding stuff. It's always like a never ending stream of new information, like being blasted at you. So it's just getting situated and starting to go ahead and like, like integrate the team. This it's always, it's always a challenge to join a new team because there's so much to learn. So it's oh, been for fun. Sure. I remember when I first joined this company that I'm currently at, I was kind of shocked that we didn't do any, that didn't actually make like merger or pull requests the first day I started working. You know, I'm just used to doing that at every other job. And I was just like, well, this is kind of weird. I just need to readjust myself and get familiar. 
with how things are done at this company because every company is different and there's different processes and you just have to adapt to it. And, and yeah, it, it does get weird to get used to it though, for sure. But yeah, now you're going full circle. You started in restaurants and now you're in restaurants again. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the part that was funny and that's actually what probably helped me get hired. <laughs> Well, then we're running a podcast with the restaurant theme as well. That, that, <laughs> that makes a huge difference, too. <laughs> Side note, funny story. Vincent, um, so Vincent's one of my professional references, and he actually plugged in the restaurant, the podcast to the person that was going to hire me, which is hilarious. <laughs> and he actually listened to it, too. <laughs> yeah, she actually looked into it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can't think of anything else that if you want to no, close I think- it off. I think we're good, guys. Thank you guys for sticking around. It's it was a rather long episode. Uh, there's there's a lot to cover when there's when it comes to productivity. I'm pretty sure there's a lot that we missed, and there's a lot more that people will learn as they go on. But thank you for joining us. Yeah, hey, we'll see you guys in the next one. Take care. Thanks for dining with us on Code Chefs. We hope we satisfied your hunger. For show notes and more insider info on today's topic, visit our website at www.codechefs.dev. Plus, follow us on Twitter at CodeChefsDev. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and join us back here for the next one. Uh, Check, please.